0: Hello and welcome to the Gray Area, where I give interviews with developers, talk about gaming news, and give you unique insights into the industry. My name is Genesee Gray, and this is the 131st episode in a show called Birds of a Feather. Today I have Samurai Punk's Nicholas McDonnell, director Bizdev artist, here to talk about Feather from Samurai Punk. I lost a little bit of the interview at the very beginning, but we're gonna pick up right now with him talking about the formation of Samurai Punk and just jump right in.
1: Yeah, so we had we went from making game jams at uni uh, pretty loosely and really just as friends, or we were doing work with other students at the time, and then we took a prototype that Winston had worked on, which was Hazamino. It was a it was a Tetris mashup with an infinite runner for mobile. So you build the levels on the right hand side of the screen, while the character is running to the right, and then you have, if you run out of pathway, you die, or if you hit a block, you die. Um, but we shipped that really quickly, and uh, it, the 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 big shift was that. We were just making prototypes or making games and screen i think still fell into this category which is our first real game and it was making actual money when it came out but we were it was and that's when we brought in our third uh, team member justin but we we were building games for the sake of the project uh we weren't like building a studio and it wasn't until we sort of grew up past that and made our first hire and uh, our office space kind of changed a little bit once it was more than just three friends making stuff <laughs> that we shifted and this was around 2016, shifted into more of like a studio culture situation.
0: Okay, yeah. So it sounds like this was originally like a game jam that just kind of ended up being successful. Uh, yeah. Not the plan, but unexpected side benefit.
1: I mean, Screensheet definitely was as well. Like, Screensheet was a prototype made at a game jam. A publisher was interested in it. That encouraged us to keep working on it. So that was, we started Screensheet before we shipped Hasamino, started the studio to ship that mobile game. But then we were like, okay, well, let's just use Samurai Punk as an entity as the legal entity that's going to ship Screen Sheet now. Uh, and it kind of just grew from there.
0: Wow. I mean, that's one that I didn't... That wasn't on my radar until I began to research. I, I kind of came into the the Samurai Pug land about American Dream level. And yeah. from there on Feather. So I did not know about yep. Screen Sheet until I was doing some research for this. And oh. that looks amazing. I can't believe I missed this. So now can we blame you for a whole new crop of cheaters with their... <laughs>
1: Maybe, that it's not cheating. In this generation.
0: Right? No, I mean, no. It's kind of, it seems or
1: is
0: like. Up, I, I see. Training. See my <laughs> air quotes in the air. <laughs> okay, so now the question the Samurai Punk mm-hmm. name of the studio. Yeah. How did this come So
1: from? We, we, we were using Samurai Punk as a name since we started jamming together. So it was kind of like a, uh, it was the only trace of like me and Winston working together. We work with a bunch of other people. But whenever we called out, we were we worked together. We always called the project like presented by or made by Samurai Punk. But the the name actually started as on the first game Samurai Double X, which was a confusing. It's a game about a blind samurai who sees by sound, um, and uh, we called ourselves the Samurai Punk Rock Stars. And then we, over time on making new games, it would like went down to Samurai Punk Rockers, and then we just went Samurai Punks and just cut the S. So uh, eventually we just shortened the name. To the point, point, anyway, by the time we were, you know, actually establishing our like business in Australia, we were just like, well, it's good enough name as any. Yeah. Um, and it, it seems to have like you know edged out really nicely long term. But it's not like it, we didn't pick the name, even really pick it at all. It's it just kind of like was a combination of things that existed, and uh, it still seems to have stuck really well and suits the kind of games we make too, which is coincidental but really good.
0: It also makes a lovely t-shirt.
1: Yes, lots of lovely t-shirt. <laughs>
0: definitely so I've, I've done a little bit of traveling and one of the places that i really enjoyed was i was outside of sydney maybe 30 minutes outside of sydney in a place called the valley and spent a uh-huh. little time there and it seemed to me that when i was there which was several years ago there was kind of a, an incoming tide of younger people maybe in their 20s who who'd graduated uni that had you know degrees were having a really hard time turning that into a career or finding yeah. you know something to to do with that and a section of those people that i knew were game developers game designers people yeah. in the industry and finding you know maybe the inspiration in the melbourne area and australia in general of studios that had made it and, and people looking for that. Do you find that there are a lot of, I mean, maybe people that are in their 20s, etc that are looking for, you know, that studio that they can point at you know triumphantly and say, look, yeah. you've used your degree and you've done it. And, and do you encounter people asking that of you?
1: Yeah, hundred um, percent. So I, I mean, I even like, I taught at the university that I was bagging on before. Um, and there's something like 10,000 students a year graduating uh, in games fields. Uh, and I think this is just, you know, compared to the amount of, maybe there's a thousand jobs a year available. Yeah. So, um, and that, that's just in the, like, I finish my degree, I go get the job, as opposed to what we did, which I guess is finish the degree and start something with with no cash, basically, which is nearly impossible. I think if I was doing it now, I don't know what I would do. Um, we were very fortunate at the time, living with parents, you know, small investments from family, like really small, just enough to pay for like one tax. And then once the game was starting to make money, we paid off those debts and more, you know, moving on from there. But um, yeah, f- there is a lot of studios out there that act as inspiration, but I also kind of think it's a bad thing in some ways, because it, in the same way that, like, all those big indie hits that appear to have come out of nowhere are, like, not great for the industry. Mm-hmm. um, They create this sense that, like, anyone can do it, and that like, you just have to make a great game, or in the case of, like, Screenshot was just luck and timing. It was, it, it's a fine game, but I look back on it now, I'm like, yeah, it was definitely luck and timing. <laughs> um... So, because our first mobile game was a complete failure, we made like five hundred dollars. Um, and then, the but the degrees and having taught there now, they they do create this this sort of emotional sense that like once we all leave our degree, you're gonna be able to either get jobs or the indie scene is so healthy that we're gonna be able to start a studio and be fine. Hmm. And that's just like the case. Like I've we've been around for five years now, and since we started and in Melbourne, we, we formed in Melbourne and we're still in Melbourne. We um. I've seen so many like Friends studios just like rise and fall right next to us, like win studio of the year one year and be gone the next year. Yeah. Uh, so it's it it's doesn't even really matter. Like if you're super like experienced when you come in, like it's just possible for anyone to fail right now. Um, we've we only gotten by because we've bootstrapped from the start. We've never received external investments besides government funding. And um, we're able to keep our costs low. As we scale sustainably rather than you know working on some huge project you know feather is such a small game and remote first blood was a really small game we we did those titles because we wanted to broaden our palette and experience without investing hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars into a single project like we did with the American Dream um but we're in a situation where we already have financing now because we have titles that bring in revenue
0: hmm. yeah yeah no i completely agree it's a very it's a very tough thing right now and especially i mean indie indie games are challenging but it seems like depending yeah. where you are in the world that can actually be compounded by the locale oh and yeah other things. in
1: australia it can get we are an affluent country so like i definitely don't want to complain that we don't have enough money to do things and there is some government assistance available depending on which state you're in but you know gdc for example is a very important gdc and gamescom can be really important for business. Yeah, it's a tough flight a to get
0: to everywhere, you know.
1: Expensive. Yeah, but it, everything everything is a really expensive flight to get anywhere. Even Asia is expensive for me to get to, even though it's super close. So you know, we don't we don't see those benefits, which is I think one of the reasons that like, even the great developers might do really badly because our marketing budgets are just implicitly like four times higher than any other Indies, uh,
0: because I we have to
1: you know I was... to do a backside to do a packs. I have to fly everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Um And Pax Australia is not is a great show for community building, but it's a terrible show for press. It's um, so true. In- I'm yeah.
0: hoping that changes, but yes, I think the press probably feels the same way you do, where they're saying, why should I fly so far away? Yeah,
1: yeah. what in in the case of like we have the press that do come over are from Sydney. Like they're not <laughs>
0: Okay. You're like, I've already okay. spoken to you. I see you all the yeah, time. Yeah, that- exactly. I have to say as a side note that I love that Darcy Sandal is your lead programmer. Not to get all, yeah. you know, rah-rah women in the industry. But that's just, no, that no. just makes me pleased when I see, look at sites and say, like, okay, well, this is a small company, sort of, as you said, bootstrapping it. And, you know, this is someone yeah. who's part of the team. And hey, lead programmer. Neat.
1: Yeah, she was actually, was she our first hire? Yeah, Darcy was our first hire out of the, the team of three originally. And she was, I I'd worked with her at uni. She was an incredible student. Um, she'd done work, but outside of the fact that she was an incredible hire, and we're really lucky to have her. And that's why she's our lead now. Like, she's grown with us. Um, it's really important to me and I think to the studio as a whole to ensure that, like, so now, we're, now that we're nine people, we have, like, we have an office culture, I guess. Um, I think that office culture benefits from more diversity. And I think our work benefits from it directly. Um, and, like, staying around long term, I don't just want to be, like, a group of 20 dudes who is completely <laughs> isolated. Uh, <laughs> because that's what we start at. And um I'm pretty proud that like if you look at our team now, we're much more diverse than we were like two years ago even.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because you have I mean you already have the American Dream, so you're the, the end game for most studios. <laughs> <laughs> you're kind of backwards evolving you're evolving,
1: you know. Oh right.
0: Yes, exactly. You're not just making the you know, the guns are out, all dudes <laughs> play this game. Which yeah. speaking of American Dream It has a a unique sense of humor, and it seems like a lot of your games have that kind of quirky sense of humor. But some of the game mechanics are an interesting balance, kind of between practical and excessive for a laugh, but also with the actual practicality. How do you balance the fun and the practicality to kind of quantify that elusive quality of fun? It is very fun, by the way
1: specifically in the American Dream or in the other Yeah,
0: ones? in the American Dream. I mean, you have all the reloading, uh-huh. you have the kind of over-the-top, right. you know, animations of of the mechanics that make it funny just for some reason. And it's hard to quantify yeah. fun. It really is.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I guess one, one thing with the American Dream as well is, uh, it's like, the mechanics directly affect the theme in a very fundamental way. You know, the game is about using guns for everything and, um games are, are meant to be somewhat fun or somewhat enjoyable or they evoke an experience, right? But the game is also a satire and a critique of gun culture. And that's both in the US directly, obviously the game is called The American Dream. But I also, my focus is, I'm the design director, is I want I want The American Dream to sort of like poke fun at how we respective guns in video games. And I think that's a really strange, um, a strange dichotomy we have as game developers. Especially as an Australian game developer who's not doesn't have a personal relationship with guns, the relationship I have with guns completely developed through video games. And I, I love shooters. You know, our first game was a shooter. American Dream is still kind of a shooter, even though it's more of an adventure game. And then I, I play Siege all the time. So it's a it's a strange world to live in, and I wanted to reflect that in the mechanics. Like uh, the guns we have are fun to engage with. The mechanics, like I mean, we talk about like the shotgun, which is like a metaphor for masturbation but is also, like, an effective tool in the situations you're using it.
0: hmm I never really so, thought about that, the idea yeah. that you're in Australia, not, not the gun masturbation, but the idea yeah. that you're in Australia, where, you know, even knives are you know, problematic, people get in... If you have a bar fight, you're more likely to get hit with a broken bottle than you are to be, you know, stabbed or you won't be shot, yeah. basically. And that's kind yeah. of a different perspective from Americans where we... Especially where I am out in the middle of the boondocks where, you know, guns are pretty common and it's not unusual mm-hmm. to have that sort of be a part of your your culture. And it's interesting that, you know, an Australian studio would make the game. And I think it's safest, really, that you do to, to make that kind of ironic look at, you know it's almost like a pair. It's clearly a parody, but it's almost like, um, I think I've read that you thought it, you kind of made it like Disney worlds. Uh, <laughs> I forget what ride it was, but very similar was, to, like, um,
1: to the like, world of tomorrow, the world of tomorrow. Uh, just, <laughs> yeah. In <laughs> Disneyland. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But that's an interesting like concept that the Australian studio is making the game about guns that, you know, isn't probably And you're you're saying your intro to guns is kind of games. Like that's how you have connection yeah. to that.
1: Yeah, game, games and, and film and TV, uh, it's weird, like, I think I probably see it done pretty much every day in some form of media. Mm. Um, just It's a, just unavoidable right now, like, ads, ad billboards in the city, uh, you know, trailers on YouTube, that kind of thing. Um, so I am, we are very immersed in them, especially as, even as kids, but um, because they're not a part of our lives, our relationships are very different. Like, uh, and how respect for them is maybe even lower than, say, a responsible gunner. Like, if you own a gun and you're responsible and you've, you've trained with it and you use it for hunting or you just use it, you keep it locked up at home, like, your relationship with that gun is actually more correct or even more um, safe than, say, mine would be. Because I haven't experienced it directly, nor do I have the sort of respect for what they can do. Um, which I think is a problem. Uh, and we kind of wanted to reflect that mechanically <laughs> in the game. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, it's sort of to get to your earlier question, like, how do we balance those things? Yeah. Um, I don't even know if we effectively did balance those things. I think the game may be too fun in some sometimes. Obviously, there are, <laughs> the game has its issues. Um, but we wanted to tell a story throughout the mechanics how, you know, the gun starts off kind of like a magic tool. Like, it does everything. And as the game progresses, it stops. It slowly starts to not be as effective as a tool for everyday life, and just becomes a tool for destruction again. Where... Um, and then the story follows that along the lines, right? So That's that was what we are trying to tell through the story. Not a spoiler. Um, I mean, it's been out for over a year now.
0: Yeah, anyway, if you haven't played it already, then tough. tough. Yes. yes. No, but the fact that it's in VR too, it, it just makes a whole new element of you know immersion. That that's really interesting. I played the only time I really played it was at PAX. Um, I forget which one it was, but there was a VR setup, and I did play the demo there. Yep. I didn't I didn't complete it, so I shouldn't say. But uh, but yeah, no, I love that. All right, so now on to Feather, which you know the yep. game of the hour. So would you like to describe Feather other than the me me reading? It's an ambient flying game where the player takes <laughs> control of the bird. What what not you describe it?
1: Yeah, um, I've so this is a weird game because even when I do like a press interview for it, I don't even like have a, a pitch. It's Feather is like a chill game where you're a bird on a big island having a really nice time. Um, that's that's kind of how I describe it. And there are other birds flying around, and you can interact with them if you want. You can choose not to. Uh, it's a very musically driven experience, so the soundtrack is actually scattered throughout the island so in order to listen to this, the, the complete soundtrack you have to explore and find it uh, and it's a game about fundamentally about intrinsic reward rather than extrinsic reward so allowing players to set their own goals and set their own path how's the reception
0: how's been the reception? in the
1: last week it's been interesting <laughs> it's selling hey uh not super super ground steam so you know if you listen to this and you buy it on steam please leave us a review because it does a lot for us but um, overall, this has been our most emotionally responsive game that we've ever shipped. Like, people have written on our Discord, like, like 10 paragraph long responses to how they've been sort of taking the game, hmm. and they've been positive ending. Hmm. Um, and people are saying, like, this has been helping them get through tough periods in their life. Um, they've been, like, really enjoying just playing it for 10 minutes a day just to take a break. Um, mm-hmm. I, but then there's also the hyper-negativity around the fact that the game has no objectives and plot the story. Um, which I was 100% expecting. Um, I intentionally, I don't know if you know much about the history of the game, but it started as a prototype called Fruits of a Feather on Itch back in um, 2016. Uh, which was the same sort of function. It was, you're a bird, you fly around a big island. It wasn't as detailed or as well populated or as big uh-huh. or as polished in any way. It was just a two-week prototype but it had uh, one goal, which was there was a lot of fruit scattered around the island, and you could collect it, and it showed like a number out of X. I think it was out of 192, it was 192 for a million. And it was, that game did okay on itch as a free download. It got a bunch of like 50,000 downloads lifetime. And I was spent a lot of time reading the comments. People People liked it, they said it was really nice. It was still the same sort of tone, it was very chill. But what was interesting for me was reading those comments about people saying, like, uh, well, you know, I, I played for 30 minutes or so, I collected some fruit, but then I realized this game is not a doubt. But not everyone will get that. Some people would just say, oh, this is just a lame game and collect fruit. That's not very interesting. But the people that got past the point where they realized that was kind of an irrelevant mechanic that I had just added last minute, because mm-hmm. I had just added it oh. last minute. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in the in the jam, I was just like, we were actually trying to make an ace combat line with birds. Um, <laughs> wow, that's no an evolution. So I just um, I was just like, look, guys, I can program collectibles in like two minutes. <laughs> um, so we did. Um, yeah, it's it's funny how things work out like that. And then yeah, people people just really enjoyed using it as a space to chill out. They said like the the number was kind of irrelevant to them. Um, they just found it pleasant. Yeah. They felt the controls were nice and being a bird was nice and the sense of freedom and the music was really good. Because we did have some of the some of the tracks that made it into the final game were in the original prototype. Okay. So, uh, I thought a lot... I mean, it's been almost three years since we released that first version. And, uh, yeah, I, I thought a lot about, like, what would this game look like if I cut all reward mechanisms? Hmm. Um, and all mm, direct motivational things, so extrinsic dec- goals the game sets upon you, that tells you, like, you should do this. Can I get a player to get to the point where once they play it, they understand it quicker? They get, you know, get to that place of peace and find a, a space for themselves to relax or to just have fun with the mechanics. Um, so that's what I focused on, trying to get it there.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can clearly sense, like, inspirations like Absu or Journey. Although, yeah. like you said, it is... Basically no goals, enemies, combats, threats essentially. Yeah. And when I'm when I was playing this and I, I decided that it would of course be best to try a game live in front of everyone for the first time. Always the best. Yeah. And and I played it for a while and began to feel really anxious, like maybe I'm playing it wrong mm-hmm. because I'm not finding like an objective or a quest giver or something that's giving me, you know, a step by step progression feeling. And I did spend yeah. some time in the trees yeah. with the fruits, like, and then they would respawn slowly. And I <laughs> and, and I said, no, no, I can't do this. So I just yeah. flew around and enjoyed it for a while. And it's, it's a really interesting concept that a game almost has to have these traditional, you know, re- reward, you know, challenge systems to feel like familiar and how very disconcerting it is to not feel that and, and in a good way. Yeah. And it's a strange time too for that to launch right now when we're having such uh, an avid discussion in the industry about difficulty in games along with approachability yeah. and accessibility and things like that. And, you know, Division 2, Apex Legends, Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice, it's all right now you know, in in everyone's feed. And, yeah. and you're hearing people say, like, oh, no, on one hand, I want to play a game because it's fun, I just want to enjoy it. No, I have to have a giant challenge and be better than everyone. There's, like, this culture clash that's happening at the same time as you're, like, play my beautiful bird game. Are you yeah. getting, like, do you feel like you're a part of that discussion? Do you feel like that is kind of reflecting on people's feedback to you right now?
1: Um, yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I... I yeah, I think it's kind of coincidental. I mean, we launched this game because it just came hot off the heels of GDC and PAX, and we really wanted to just have it done for business reasons. Like we need to start moving on to some other stuff, and winding down this project is a good thing. Um, and it's it's weird that it, we launched right after Sekiro. Um, you know, I'm playing that at home, it is quite hard, I guess. they um, just had
0: it either, <laughs> though, did you hear that?
1: Oh. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um in response uh, to the still. discussions. Yeah. And I guess yeah, I guess we are part of that conversation. Um, it's it's really a weird one because, like, we—I mean, I objectively this game has a stance. The game itself has a stance on. Um, but that's not to say that our other games don't have their own state. And um, I I don't think there is. A, a, I mean, accessibility is one thing. Like, I'm I'm definitely pro accessibility in all formats. Um, but on not necessarily on difficulty.
0: Yeah, approachability difficult. is what I'm calling it because it's such a weird yeah. quantifiable term.
1: Yeah, and it and it kind of comes with the concept of even having goals. So, like, so a game can have motivations separate from um separate from having a reward mechanism. um Like, you know, a game like Sekiro has a story, but it also has reward mechanisms in the fact that like it's got juice and it like feels good to do combat. Like, you could have a game that's just flying, running around like Shogunist of Japan, killing things, and that would be still a very fundamentally similar experience it just doesn't have the same reward mechanisms overlaid on top um or the same you know a plot you're moving through um and yeah i think feather feather definitely like is moving away from that explicitly so we have reward mechanisms as well in the game you fly over a brazier it lights up you fly through a cloud it has a nice effect if you go through a ring it plays a song the, the grass reacts to your presence like everything i've tried to make everything feel as soft and as responsive and as alive as possible so the game sort of says like yes I know you exist in this oh, world okay. is how I say things. Um, when you fly past a crystal it makes a nice sound so <clears throat> that that was kind of where I was heading for that game and um, it, it kind of actually came from a, a talk by the Don't Starve developers uh, this is where the, the concepts of extrinsic versus intrinsic reward where the, you know the game says do these ten tasks and then when you finish, you kind of feel a little hollow because you haven't been able to see beyond those 10 tasks and find out what else they could be. Whereas if you don't state the goals up front to the player... Like, I could have said, fly through all 12 rings mm. in the world, or not. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't because it means that the player, one, doesn't know when they're finished, which is good. And it also means that the player... Um, and so they get a little extra sense of mystery, which is really nice. But they also can choose not to complete that task, and they won't feel less of a player, they won't feel like less of themselves for doing that. Um, but then, you know, uh, by having no goals up front at all, like so zero goals, um, you, you kind of, uh, it, it does make it a much more accessible experience, and we have found this game does resonate a lot more than I expected it to, I guess, with children and the elderly. Um, which is great, because I think, and like a broader sense of accessibility in terms of uh, cultural accessibility, um, you know, asking a lot of the player has a lot of mental load that puts on you. You know, like our first game screen sheet, our first real game screen sheet asks so much of the player and expects a lot of you as well in terms of um, existing knowledge. Uh, whereas fundamentally, Feather that can be played by just using the thumbstick, so you can just move the bird with mm-hmm. the thumbstick. You don't have to use the tricks or anything and it's still a fine experience like that um and, and anyone of any age can play it um and enjoy it and enjoy it for what it is which i think is really important doing.
0: yeah no it has as you fly faster I, I get that sense of like excitement of like roller coaster of like you know, ooh, there, there is a reward for going through this and going high and flying down and sort of, you know, understanding, I guess, the idea of flying and how that feels. And there are several games that are coming out about flying or where you are a bird flying. Sure. And I feel like this is my favorite one because I do get motion sick. Sure. And I've played a couple of them and had bad reactions where, you know, it was, it was more about that than it was about the experience of playing. So I appreciated being able to at least play this and and feel the excitement of speed, but not the sickness of the motion. Yeah. <laughs> so that was yeah. I enjoyed that. Yeah,
1: enjoyed that. one one thing that's interesting that we did is um really dialed back on how simulation y the game is. Um I think it might be fundamentally what might make you stick out of those other games. Because I was trying some other stuff out recently. Um, and it mainly comes in from the Blair. The birds sort of, it almost has AI, but it attempts to always level itself back out um, and go straight and flat. Uh, and what that means is you kind of always have like a central frame of reference. Like, so you don't roll the camera up and down much. And it definitely doesn't roll left and right. So even if the bird rolls, the camera is still straight. Um,
0: okay. Okay.
1: Which obviously is not realistic. Like, a bird would freely be able to roll and would freely be able to backflip. And dive and do a full flip, but by taking that away, it makes the game like control more accessible. Like again, makes making it easier for larger age groups. But I, I guess it has um, knock on effects, which are beneficial for motion sickness as well.
0: Neat. All right. So you said you had to wrap this up because of business needs, which you know is practical for any game. Does yeah. that mean you have something upcoming, and perhaps something that you want to tease at all?
1: Um. Nothing on the, the horizon, actually. We, He's we like, give me a break, I just got done. Um, um, yeah, no, I, I'm, I am planning on um, continuing a little bit of work on this, but it's we have, a, we have a couple of people on this to get it out for Switch and to get it running on Switch in the mm. first place. So that was one of the things we just had to stop at a certain point. We will be updating it to fix the existing bugs, and I would like to add some content. But the the primary stuff we're working on is some of it's behind closed doors on a new project that's maybe two years off. And then uh, some of it is contract work. Uh, like I said, we, we we grow sustainably. And part of that is taking on client work in order to pay the bills and ensure that the shortfalls... Like this game could have been a failure, but we already had work lined up if it was. Um, so with the, the game being not a complete failure and the contract work already being lined up, my staff will get a nice Christmas bonus. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's, a, that's a good situation to be in. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, nothing we can tease right now. Um, we might put Rumbo out on other platforms, because it was only part of a humble monthly back in January, but we haven't decided. I mean, some some of the stuff just hasn't been decided yet. Um, we might expand on that. We might just ship it as is.
0: Okay, yeah. Okay, well, so people who are listening know this came out on PC and Nintendo Switch. Do you want to yeah. share any places that they can find this, other than the obvious yeah. doing on Steam Search?
1: Yeah, I mean the best the best way to go is just uh, Samuraipunk.com is our website. It has our store, and it also has direct links to the major platforms you can buy it on. Uh, it's on it's on itch, Discord. It's actually available on our Discord oh, as okay. a purchase. Yeah, that's a new thing we tried out. Yeah, it's not.
0: How are you finding uh, that?
1: It's it's as a developer, it's easy to work with, but it's uh, not making moving many units. I
0: see. Yes. Um,
1: yes. It's it's smaller than itch. And itch is pretty small. <laughs>
0: I guess the idea is that you can see when other people are playing and then, you know, form groups easier and things like that. And there is that that sort of passive online component to this, but it's probably not as key
1: as for some other games. Yeah. Um, I I like it personally as the, like, community building exercise. We have a fairly active Discord, and it's been more active now that we launched Feather. Um, The Discord is discord.gg slash samuraipunk. Everything is like that. Enjoy Um, spelling
0: samurai. That always takes a few (laughs) tries.
1: Um... But yeah, it's it's a cool it's a cool platform, and I hope it grows. And I want to see what they're doing with it. It's just got a bunch of discoverability issues. Like right now, to join the server, to if you want to join the server, just to join it or to buy a game, you have to type in Samurai Punk in the join message. But you can't like search for the server or for the game in the the, the like main hub search, which is odd. So not as far as I'm aware. Um, so we because we're verified, but we're not partnered. Okay. Um,
0: that's so weird so like we have a
1: you have a custom url um but it would make sense that if they have all these games shipping on storefronts in their server you should be able to go like search games on discord but mm-hmm. the name should come up but it doesn't um yeah. so uh, but then they they only rolled the feature while I was a GDC, and then the second it came out i, I started submitting a game to it so because I was like it's better to be on the forefront if it fails it fails if it doesn't it becomes big I'm glad we were there early and figured things okay. out because um, so much of this business is just about building relationships with platform partners and publishers so that when you have something or be, you need a bunch of money or you have access to something, you can get that access.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Cool.
0: Um, yeah. All right. So anything else that you feel like you wanted to say Thanks. and get a chance to say?
1: Okay. Uh, no, I think I kind of covered it. Um, cool. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, thank you to Nick and I will put all the links in the upcoming podcast and stay tuned for more from Samurai Punk.